himself there. It says, uh, uh, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And, and this isn't, he, he's not just saying, you know, you know, well, now I'm in Jerusalem, here I am. Our, are, our feet are standing within your gates. He's, he's excited. He's, he's saying, I, I was glad with those who said, let's go. And now we're here. We're in the gates. We're in Jerusalem. The psalmist is like a kid at Disney World for the first time. That's what's going on here. The psalmist is really excited to be in Jerusalem. He's been looking forward to getting there. He rejoiced with those who said that. And now he's there. He's, he's actually there. Have, have you ever been to Disney World with a kid who's been there for the first time and seen what it's like? Uh, you come in and... And there's just the, the surround sound music everywhere. You're greeted, and there's the guy, you know the guys just dressed up as Mickey Mouse, but your kid doesn't know that Mickey Mouse is there. The characters are there. This this uh, the castles there. The rides, and and I can remember our first time uh, taking the whole family there in 2000, about 11 years ago. And what we enjoyed the most was our kids enjoying Disney World, and just all the all the awe. That's what this psalmist is like. With Jerusalem. That's what's going on. He is stoked. He's excited about being in this city, the very city of God. He's, he's there, and picture him there within the gates with, with his mouth wide open, his, his, his eyes staring around and just looking at Jerusalem, this, this city that, that he goes on to describe, and the, the glorious temple at the peak of the city. Eyes gleaming, rejoicing in this place where, where God himself dwells, where his people come together, where the, the king himself sits and rules. This, this psalm is just full of love for this city of God. So we learn about that. We are instructed by the psalmist's example in his love for Jerusalem, and we're instructed by the psalmist's words and what he says about Jerusalem, what he says that describes why he thinks it's great. He do, this isn't just empty emotion that he's feeling. He doesn't go there and just get excited about Jerusalem because um, I mean, that's just what you do. You get excited about Jerusalem. No, there are reasons that he's excited, and he, he goes on to talk about those, those reasons. Before we get there, though, I just want to cover some ground about this idea of the city of God. That's, that's uh, a description for Jerusalem. It's the city of God. It's the, it's the uh, grouping together of people who belong to God, where God dwells. And, and this idea of the city of God actually runs through the entirety of Scripture. It, it runs, starts in the beginning and runs right through. So the, the idea of Jerusalem is not an isolated idea. It fits in a major theme that runs throughout Scripture from the beginning to end. We can, we can look at a, a lot of places to tap into that theme in Scripture, but one place we can look is in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, we see when God, when God reconciles all things, when he brings ultimate justice, when he, he brings in his people to his kingdom, when, when the fullness of the salvation of his people is accomplished and he deals with all his enemies, what happens at the end of the book of Revelation, is that there's this new city. There's this new Jerusalem. There's this ultimate city of God that, that comes. And it says in Revelation chapter 21, I'll just read some expert excerpts. We can project this. As John is watching uh, the culmination of all things, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then later on in that chapter, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So at the end of all things, the culmination of all things, when, when God wants to bring the fullness of salvation, it's, it's pictured and shown and, and, and experienced in this new Jerusalem that comes down. This ultimate Jerusalem, this ultimate city of God where God dwells, where His people live together in community before Him in love for one another. So we see that in Revelation, that, the, that, that there is this new Jerusalem as, as the climax of history. But it's not, just at the, it's not just at the end that there is the city of God. Actually, in the very beginning of the Bible, there is a city of God of sorts. At least there was a plan for a city of God's city of God of sorts, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, uh, we, we miss it a little bit of what is meant because of the word garden. Uh, and it, we think of garden, we think of a place where there's marigolds and, you know, sunflower, sunflowers and things like that and a little planted garden. That, and that's really not uh, the garden, that, the use of the word in Scripture. The garden, the word for garden in Scripture is, is um, d- describes something different than that. It's really a royal garden. It's, it's more like a, if you were to imagine what a garden, the garden of a king uh, uh, it's a garden of a king, and it's a garden that is uh, a place where a king dwells and rules from. So it's more than just your backyard garden. This is a royal garden. This is a place, and if we read the story in, in Genesis, this is a place where God was to dwell with man, and man was to rule the earth from that place. And he was to subdue uh, creation and be fruitful and multiply, and in a sense create a city of God. There. Now, you might be thinking, I, I never heard that, and, you know, that's a new idea. I always thought it was just this garden, like with trees, and Adam and Eve were in the garden, and, you know, and, and that's all it was. But, well, we can look at other places in Scripture. So we can look in Revelation to see this connection between the New Jerusalem and the Garden of Eden as the original planned city of God. So if you look in uh, chapter 22... In the book of Revelation, we have this to project as well. Look in chapter 22 in the beginning. We see the description of the New Jerusalem, but listen for the elements in this city that are the same elements that were in the Garden of Eden as we go through. It says, And the angel showed me. Now, the angel, by the way, is showing John this new city of Jerusalem. It says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They, They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So in the city is a river coming out of the throne, just like in the Garden of Eden, a river, there is the tree of life that's there. That connection is purposeful from the Lord 
because the Garden of Eden was to be the original city of God. But we know what happened. Mankind rebelled against God, was cast out of the garden. And then God called the people to himself and established a new city of God, the, new, the, the, the Jerusalem in the Old Testament, where he dwelt uh, amongst them through the temple and the ministry of the temple, where God's people were to come together and to worship and to celebrate. And that was a picture. It was a continuation of, of that original city of God, that failure in the Garden of Eden. And it was pointing to, towards the ultimate city of God, the new Jerusalem. So when our psalmist is celebrating this city of God, God in his wisdom is thinking about those bookends as well, the Garden of Eden and the ultimate city of God. So this psalm instructs us not only uh, if we were an Old Testament believer under the covenant of Moses and David how to relate to Jerusalem, but for all time how we are to celebrate and understand the city of God. I hope that makes sense. Uh, covering a lot of ground, you can look elsewhere. You can look in Scripture in 1 Corinthians where Paul equates the local church actually with the temple of God. The temple of God and Jerusalem were, were, are equated in Scripture together. Uh, the, the psalmist himself in Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the temple. And then he celebrates Jerusalem. So we know that he understands the two as going together, Jerusalem and the temple. Paul equates the temple with the local church in 1 Corinthians 3. He, he tells them that they are, as a local church, the temple of God. All that to say that this line of the city of God that starts in the Garden of Eden, runs through the Old Testament Jerusalem, towards the New Jerusalem in in the book of Revelation, runs right through the church. The church with a capital C really is the New Jerusalem, Scripture teaches us. And in particular, each local church is part of that. So the equivalent, the, the closest equivalent for us, and really the essential equivalent for us, is the local church. So when we read Psalm 122, yes, we think of the New Jerusalem. Yes, we can think of the Garden. Yes, we are certainly to understand uh, Jerusalem in the Old Testament, but we are to make application to life in the local church, in particularly for us who are called the King of Grace Church, to King of Grace Church. So these celebrations, this attitude that the psalmist had, These these essential qualities of the New Jerusalem apply directly to us here at King of Grace Church and to every local church. So some questions, and I'll be asking questions as we go along. A question to ask ourselves, do we show the same excitement to be part of and to gather with our church our local church, as the psalmist does to be in Jerusalem? Do we show the same excitement, the the same anticipation? Is coming together on Sundays for us like a kid going to Disney World? That's how it's supposed to be. If that isn't the case, there's something that's off, either, either with us or the church. But that's how it's supposed to be, looking at Psalm 122. We should, in a sense, say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go worship at King of Grace Church this morning. And then when we get there, our feet have been standing within the foyer, oh, King of Grace Church. We don't need to say exactly that, but that sentiment should be there with us because of the same reasons we're going to get to as we go along. 
That should be our orientation towards being together. It should be something we eagerly anticipate and desire and celebrate. And whether it's our Sunday morning worship, which is a very important part of our time together, uh, or if it's a small group, or if it's doing outreach together. Anytime we come together as God's people, as a local church, to worship, to walk together, to witness to Christ, our attitude should be like the psalmist. Eager anticipation, celebration, joy. So Psalm 122 instructs us. Now the psalmist is excited because he knows what Jerusalem represents. He knows that this is the place where God himself dwells. This is the place, this is the city where God himself dwells. He says in the beginning, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He's excited because this is the place where God dwells. And we know that God lived in the temple. And God, I mean, God is over. You can't find any place to contain God. But he manifested his presence through that temple. He made himself known. He dwelt among his people. Before they had the temple, it was a, a tent right in the middle of the whole camp. And he dwelt there. And he made provision for his people to know him. To be in Jerusalem was to be aware of the temple. The temple actually... Uh, loomed large over the whole city. I think we have a picture to show of this. This is a model uh, from a model of the temple and the city. This is a really cool model in, in uh, Israel. And you can see all those little tiny buildings. Those are the houses all throughout. And that big, huge thing in the middle, that's the temple. So when you came into Jerusalem through the different gates around it, those gates are, but those walls are really, the smaller walls are really tall, by the way. The scale is, uh, I mean, I, you, people would be very, very small on, that, on there. You come in to those other gates, you're going to see the streets and the, and, the, and the houses, the buildings right up along the, the alleyways, but then you're going to see looming large and glorious this temple up on the hill. So to come into Jerusalem was to see the temple and be aware of the temple. And that temple was the place where God dwelled. And that temple was a place where provision was made for sin, because for God to dwell amidst his people, he must deal with the reality of our open and willful rebellion against him. It's really amazing. God would choose to come and dwell with us. He's glorious. He's loving. And, and he makes provision in the Old Testament. It's looking forward to the new. But the, the provision in the Old Testament is through the blood of the sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. So to come in to Jerusalem was to be aware of the temple. To be in the temple was to be aware that you were a sinner who was covered by the blood of animals. To cover your sins so that you could be uh, acceptable and welcomed into God's presence. We know that the fulfillment of that is in Christ. God himself has made provision through God the Son being born as a man, living a righteous life, and then offering himself up on the cross for your sake, to cover your sins. Should you receive that, repent and turn from your sins and receive that free gift, that, that you are covered by his blood. All your sins, past, present, and future, all of them are covered and forgiven. And now you can come into the presence of God forgiven and accepted Beloved. And we know for us as a church, that's the very best thing about us. Not ourselves, but Christ has shed his blood for us. And we are forgiven. 
And God chooses to dwell with us as His people, to be here. And when we come together, it's not just people coming together who think the same way. It's much, much more than that. It's people coming together who are covered in the blood of Christ, coming into the very presence of God. The worship songs today were so wonderful in line with this. We come before a holy God when we come together. And that's why the psalmist is excited about this. Because he knows the greatest thing about Jerusalem is the fact that God is there. And God is great. And God is glorious. And God has made provision in, through the, the sacrifices and through Christ ultimately. And He is holy beyond comprehension. He is infinitely glorious. He's infinitely just and wise. And He dwells there. And the best thing about Jerusalem is that God dwells there and we can approach His throne and, and behold His glory and know Him. And His glory will never be fully comprehended. That's, that's amazing. God, God has made all things and they show His glory, but, but they, they, they pale in comparison to Himself. We can see His glory through creation. We can see His glory. We can see His glory and we know His glory. We comprehend His glory in part through His Word and through most of all His Son, Jesus. We see His glory. And the things of this earth pale in comparison to God in all His glory. The psalmist is excited because he gets to see God in His glory. And he knows, like we know at times, and sometimes we forget, that God is all glorious. Sadly, sadly, we forget. And we, at times, will look to other things that are, that are glorious in themselves to some degree. The, the things of this world, the, the beauty of a May day, uh, June day actually, uh, a beauty, beauty of a day like this, it, it's it, right and appropriate for us to enjoy it. But, but what we often do and can do is, is think that this is, this is glory. This is what life's about. This is what feeds our soul. When there's a glory much greater than anything in creation, we're, we're like, uh, like a, a, a boy with a brand new flashlight on a sunny day. And we have the flashlight and we think it's the greatest thing in the world and we're flicking it on and yet the sun is shining fully. And, and, it, and the flashlight compares not at all to the sun. And yet we are enamored by the flashlight and we're ready to, to you know, do everything with the flashlight and we turn it on. Isn't this great? And you can't even see the bulb because it's so glorious out. That's what life is like for us often. We glory in the created things when there's a... a a sun, a brilliant sun shining for us to enjoy. The psalmist is excited because he's tapped into that. He's, he's aware of it. He knows that the all-glorious, infinite God dwells here in Jerusalem. And so he's rejoicing to go there. And for us, that's what's going to drive our joy in being together as a church. The fact that God dwells here. He dwells with us. And, and I don't know about you, but Sunday after Sunday, I taste and see His goodness. And, and some of us have been here from the very beginning, and, and I, I, know, I believe you would say with me that I can't remember a Sunday where God has not shown His glory in some way has not reminded us of His goodness in some way, has not touched our minds and our hearts, and often in very palpable ways, very, very tangible ways. I know uh, you've heard stories, and I have, I've, I've talked to people too, where, where they come in to worship with us, 
And this is, no, this is nothing about us. If you look at us, there's no reason we have really to promote ourselves. It's the mercy of God that, that God dwells in us. People have come in on Sundays, and, and I've known people to come in and, and, and weep in worship, cry. And, and, and some people to be even freaked out. We talked about that in our class this morning, to be freaked out by it. Why am I crying? What's going on? Why, what, what's happening here? And, and what I believe is happening is that God dwells amongst his people. And when we come into worship, it isn't just singing songs. It's coming before God. And, and there's a sense of the, of the glory of God that impacts our soul and at times can produce tears or just the sense of his presence. That's a wonderful thing. And we get to do that. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And not just on Sundays, our small groups. And times when we're we're together, ministering in His name. God's there with us and and we can experience Him. That's a reason to rejoice that we get to go to be with God's people. We get to go to the house of the Lord. And that's what the psalmist understood. He, he, He loved Jerusalem because it was the place where God dwelt. And he also loved it because it was the place where his people lived together in unity. So he goes on to describe Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Can you hand me my water, please? He is rejoicing that, that this is the place that not only... God dwells, but his people live here. This is a city that's built well together. It's closely compacted. It's, it's organized. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compact city. The, the houses, uh, buildings would have been close together and full of people. And he says in that same section, this is where the tribes go up. This is, this is where God's people journey and go to to be together, to worship. He's saying, I'm excited to be in this place because... God's people are packed in here together to worship God. And so he understood that this was a place where God's people lived together in unity. Later on, we're going to look at Psalm 133 and the blessing, the, the, the incredible blessing of unity. When God's people dwell together in unity, what a blessing it is. And that's what he's alluding to here. That this city is a, a place where God's people come together and dwell together in unity. And it is glorious when God's people come together. Where they come together, assembled around and drawn to the Savior and therefore drawn close together. Loving the same God, united together. It is really glorious. It is really amazing. I, I can remember as a, as a young believer, just being aware of what God had done in my life in terms of this, that I, I, I was just aware of how much I enjoyed my Christian friends and how much I enjoyed their company. And as I surveyed my Christian friends, I, I, I thought, you know what? Five years ago, or at that time, two years ago, I would never have been caught dead with this guy. Uh, I would never have hung out with this guy. This guy would have hate, hated me. I probably would have tried to beat this guy up. He would have beat me up. That, that's what the reality would have been years ago before I knew the Lord. And just re- re- looking around, and, and um, I mean, we had all sorts of people. And you know, uh, I, perhaps for you, growing up for me, we were all, it was click-based. I was the, I was the, uh, I was the, in the jock hood group. Um, and some of you who are older know what I mean, the jock hood group. I was an athlete, but I was a troublemaker athlete. There were the, the jock preps, right, too. And, um, and then there were the geeky jocks, too, that they ran cross-country. And, uh, and Sorry, that's how it was. <laughs> Sorry, nothing, nothing against you who ran cross-country, but that's how it was. Uh, 
then there were the hood hoods, you know, and the druggy hoods and, and, uh, and the just pure geeks and everything. And, and, and I looked around and I had friends from all these different groups. I, one, one of my friends, I won't name him, but he was a geek. I can, and uh, we, were, we were, I heard a story act. I wasn't there when it happened. They were throwing around, dudes goofing around. They had a bag of chips, throwing it back and forth and stuff. And, and uh, my friend grabbed it and he looked at it and he said, oh, remarkably preserved. I mean, just a, a geek thing, you know, to talk like that. Instead of saying, hey, look, none of them are broken. Oh, remarkably preserved. Uh, but, the, but I just, the, the point of the story is just that, that these were guys I loved. And, and most of them I'm still in contact with. Um, Facebook, actually, is a good way to stay in t- contact. So um, that's the doing of the Lord, to, to have all these different types of people that come together and thoroughly enjoy each other, though different. I'm not going to say remarkably preserved when I look at the bag of chips, but I'm going to enjoy the guy who does. And that's what the psalmist is celebrating. This, this is a place where God's people come together. God brings them together. And it's a glorious thing to be part of a local church where God brings people together. All different types. And we want even more diverse types to come together in this place. Drawn together through Christ. Loving each other deeply from our hearts. And we know that's the Lord who does that. And there is a sense of the presence of God when we experience that. And when people come into that, they see something's different here. It is good. It's precious. It's glorious. There are realities to this, though, we have to recognize, too, that we're sinners. This isn't easy. It isn't that we're always going to enjoy one another. There's going to be things that tempt us. There's going to be offenses. But God has given us what we need to work through that. He's given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins. If my sins have been forgiven, though they are so many, then certainly I can turn around and forgive my friend's sins against me as well. As though, though that might be difficult. If I know my forgiveness in Christ, I can do this. If I know that the gospel trains me that, that I'm a sinner and that, that my sins are many and serious, they're so serious that, that God himself had to die for them, then, then I shouldn't be preoccupied with someone else's sins, but my own. And I should live more in wonder that all of my sins are forgiven than that this person has one or two things that rub me the wrong way. And, and gratitude and awareness of grace should fill our hearts. So when we look at people, we don't say, that's the guy who always has that weird mannerism that bothers me. But we should look at someone and say, that's the guy whom God has rescued from sin and who has blessed and has used to bless others in all these ways. So when we look at people, we see the grace of God, not their deficiencies. See, the gospel makes all the difference. When the truth of the gospel fills our lives and influences us in the power of the Spirit, we relate to one another entirely differently. And we can, we can bridge the gaps. We can forgive one another. We can walk together. We can recognize we're sinners together on a journey, covered by the grace of God. Loving one another deeply from the heart. I love, uh, I love Spurgeon's quote. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor from the 1800s, He said, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would have not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, 
and perfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Let us treasure the unity of the church. Let us preserve it. Let us be be diligent in running to the gospel for the power and the truth to to shape our thinking about the church and ourselves so that that there is unity and love before the Lord and, and the beauty of unity in our midst. The psalmist loved Jerusalem because it was where God's people dwelt before God in unity. He loved it because it was the place where the chosen king reigns. And he continues, as he speaks of Jerusalem, he says, There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Now, when we read the word judgment, it, it tends to have a negative connotation in English, but uh, in the Bible, it's really not meant that way. It's meant the whole way. It's really thrones for justice might be a better way to phrase it so we would understand. Thrones for justice. This was the place where the king lived. This was the place where God's chosen king lived and executed righteousness and justice for the land. And that meant, yes, indeed, bringing judgment to sinners, but also ensuring the protection and blessing and prosperity of those who walk by faith. It means all that. And the psalmist is excited about Jerusalem because this is the place where the the chosen king of David, of David's line, of the house of David, the one whom God chose and set apart and promised it would be a descendant forever on his throne, this is the place where that chosen king reigns. This is the place of the kingdom of God, is essentially what he's alluding to. I love this city, he's saying, because this is the place where God's chosen king dwells. In Scripture, there's not a celebration of anarchy like there is in our current culture. Our current culture has followed the trend that's been there for a while that thinks that anarchy, no king, no ruler is the best solution. That's not how Scripture approaches it. Scripture says that godly rulers are a great blessing and a sign of God's grace on his people and to be treasured. And so the psalmist treasures the fact that God's chosen king reigns here he sees it as a blessing. He's glad for it. And, and, and we, again, we know this is the Old Testament Jerusalem. And we follow that line through the church. And so now through the church, we know that God's chosen king is the ultimate fulfillment of the house of David, Jesus Christ himself. And he does dwell here as king in this local church. He does reign and rule here. And he does reign over us. And that is a good thing. And he reigns and rules over us through his word. His word, he's given us his word. He's given us his instruction. And he's given us his spirit. And he speaks his decrees and his truth to us. And calls us to his kingly reign through his word. And we're to be like the psalmist. We're to be glad for that. We, we should have the heart of, Lord, I love your kingdom. I love your reign. Would you come and reign in me? Would you vanquish the things in me that are opposed to your kingdom? Would you deal with self-righteousness? Would you deal with irritability? Would you deal with harsh words? Would you deal with ingratitude in me? Because those places, something else is reigning. I want your reign in my life. Would you come and reign over these relationships I have? Would you be king? And he does that through his word. He does that through the power of his spirit. He does that through his delegated leaders, too, in the local church. A pastor is an under-shepherd. And shepherd in Scripture is, is connected to king, by the way. There's, there's, there's shep- the kings in the Old Testament were shepherd kings. They were called to be like shepherds. 
So when it says the Lord is my shepherd, you're saying he's more than just a guy that cares for me. He's a guy that rules over me. And that's what a, a shepherd does. And pastors are called under-shepherds. We, we are to be delegates under the king, helping to implement his reign in the local church as he reigns over us. It is a blessing to live under the reign of God as he extends his reign in and through our lives and then through us as we touch other lives as well, as we walk out the truth of the gospel, as we walk in light of the gospel, as we love our neighbors together, the reign of the king extends that way as we proclaim the gospel most of all. And we're to love that reign like the psalmist does. So some questions for us. When we think of life in the local church, do we think of living under the reign of Christ? When we think of being involved in a local church, is that our, our disposition, that I am coming under the reign of Christ? To be in a local church is to submit to the reign of Christ, under the Word, by the Spirit, under biblical, biblically qualified leadership. We come under the reign of Christ. Is that your view of the local church? I think it needs to be a big part of how we understand the local church. Coming under his reign, learning to walk in that together. Are you seeking to advance the kingdom in your own life? Are you looking at sin in your own life and things in your own life where you fall short? And are you being um, laissez-faire about that, passive? Or are you saying, Jesus, I want your reign. Help me. And the reality is, if we all look at ourselves honestly, there is at least one area that we should be working on for the reign of God to expand. We all have at least one, right? Anyone have not have one area to, to grow? Yeah, don't raise your hand. You'll be in trouble. We all have at least one area to say, Lord, help me with this area. And I would suggest just, just choose one. Maybe ask if you're married, your spouse. What do you think might be one of the major areas I can work on? Ask those who know you and love you. We're to have that attitude, Lord, I want your reign to advance. Do we relate to the church that way? Do we come under the Word of God together? Do we come under the leaders as they seek to lead us in the Word of God? Recognizing that the King reigns in our midst. The psalmist celebrates that about Jerusalem, that this is the place where the chosen King reigns. Final point is what the psalmist does at the end here. He expresses his love for Jerusalem and what he says at the end. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sakes, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The psalmist loves Jerusalem. And so he calls others to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for its prosperity. He calls... He calls um, he, he speaks of his own life. He says, for my brothers and companions' sake. For, so for the sake of my brothers and my, my friends, I will seek your peace. I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, for the sake of God, I will seek your good. The orientation of the psalmist is for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem. Because he knows what this city is. This city of God. As we understand the local church, this should be our same orientation towards the local church. And I know for many, if not most of you, if not all of you, this is your orientation towards the local church, towards this local church. 
We are to love the local church and want to see its peace and prosperity. We are to recognize its priority. Jerusalem is the city of God. New Jerusalem is the ultimate city of God. The local church is, is the, the, the expression that we have while we're here of the city of God. And in, in God's priorities, it's at the top. God has other priorities. I don't mean to say he doesn't. He himself is at the very top. But the church is at the top. We are to be devoted to the church, capital C, and specifically our local church in the same way that this psalmist is devoted to Jerusalem. We are to be devoted to the peace and prosperity of our local church in the same way. We are to count it the dearest place in the entire earth. Now that sounds maybe radical to us. Because in our culture, the idea of, of being devoted to a church or anything above being devoted to yourself and your family comes across as radical. Scary. You're looking for, looking for the Kool-Aid when you hear those sort of things. But that's not what Scripture says. Psalm 122 instructs us on the priority of the local church. And indeed, the local church is to come under the authority of God, I'm not, and that's what makes all the difference. But we are to be devoted to the local church. We are to be devoted to the local church actually above our individual lives and above our families. Above our individual lives and above our families. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying in that. It doesn't mean ignore yourself and the priorities you have to walk with God. Ignore your family and the priority that you have in your family to care for your family. But yourself and your family are ultimately to be subservient to God's purposes in the local church, in and through the local church. That's the word. That's clear. And we have to watch our own hearts because we can let the culture influence us. We can allow biblical priorities, the biblical call to care for, care for our family, the biblical call to have our own walk with God. We can end up lifting that above the local church and think the most important thing is that I get my quiet time with the Lord and I get my family worship time. And then comes the church. But that's not Psalm 122. That's not the scripture. It's the other way around. We are to, have, we are to treasure God's work in and through the local church. Therefore, we get time with the Lord and time with our family so we can build up the local church for its purposes. That's how it works. Yes, indeed, those are priorities. But ultimately subservient to the local church and the church with capital C church, the entire church. John Stott has says, if the church is central to God's purpose as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? And in New England, we swim in the water of independence. We live in this culture that says the church is just another organization among many. Uh, I have a friend, uh, actually I haven't seen him, he's moved, but he was, uh, when I first came here, came back to New England to pastor, I asked him uh, what he saw in New England. He wasn't from New England, he was from Pennsylvania. I think we have a quote to put up from him. I said to him, you know, what is the difference between New England and Pennsylvania? And he said it more or less this way. He said, in Pennsylvania, when we did something as a church, pretty much everyone was there and was glad to be there. Here in New England, a church event 
church activity of any sort, is put right alongside the YMCA, the Little League, and whatever else. It's just considered another social involvement. That's not Psalm 122, is it? That's not the Scripture. Now, that's not to say there aren't other things, and that's not to say drop everything else you're doing, quit Little League and all that. That's not what I'm saying. It's a priority issue. It's a heart issue. Do we consider the local church that important? And so we make accommodations. Yes, be involved in Little League. Yes, be involved in the Y. That's important in its own place. But it must never be functionally more important than what God is doing in and through the local church with us as part of that. So do we love the local church? Do we love it, if the band could come up as we close, do we love it because it's the place where God dwells? Do we love it because it's the place where, where God's people dwell in unity? Do we love it because it's where the reign of Christ is made known? We are called to pray for the peace and seek the prosperity of our local church. And, and this psalm is very instructive and helpful how to do that. First on the list is to pray. Pray for King of Grace Church. Pray for the peace and prosperity of this church. We need it. I need it. Just telling my wife last night that every week, uh, and this just to plead for you to pray for me, every week, every day I wake up and I experience temptation to doubt God in the morning, unlike anything I've ever experienced before I was a pastor. I never had it happen. Every morning I wake up with temptation. I think it's spiritual warfare. And then I've recognized that during my week, actually I, I face a lot of doubts uh, and struggles until I do my message prep, and then they go away. Do you think maybe the enemy doesn't want me to preach, doesn't want me to put God's Word together, and that's what's going on? That's what's going on. And, I, and I've, I've been learning how to recognize that and to trust the Lord through it, and I need your prayers. I need you to pray for me. And this church needs you to pray for the church, for the peace and prosperity of the church. That's the first and most important. We are also to, to give ourselves fully to our church to be part of a small group, to serve alongside, to encourage one another towards loving good deeds, towards evangelism and reaching and touching and loving our world. And there's lots of ways to do that. We as a church speak of our discipleship in terms of these three W's, and you can phrase it uh, different ways, but God as disciples, we are called to be worshipers, we're called to walk together, we're called to witness. So we seek the peace and prosperity of the church by doing that together. We worship together. We come together in small groups. And I would encourage all of us to be involved in outreach in some way on a regular basis together. These are ways that we seek the peace and prosperity of this local church. We have been changed by Christ. We have tasted and seen that He's good. The grace of God's changed our lives. We love, we have loved God and we're learning to love God. We're learning to love one another. We're learning to love His reign. And we're learning to seek the peace and prosperity of His church and this local church. We're learning how to celebrate and live like the psalmist instructs us in Psalm 122. Thank God for His grace and many evidences of this already. May He do more and more in in and through our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful psalm. We thank you for the city of God. 
We thank you for that city that awaits us when all these things are fulfilled, when, when the, the realization and experience of what we read in the psalm will just be amazing. It will be way better than anything any kid ever experienced in Disney World. And we thank you that we get to taste it and experience it now in part. Teach us how to love the city of God. Teach us how to love this local church. Make us a people for your glory in these ways, we pray. Amen.